Welcome, Samuel. Um, it's so good to have you and welcome to everybody who's joining us um, tonight from around the Bay Area and um, for sure, and even a few guests from far away. Uh, it's really good to be together. And I know that uh, so many of us have been, uh, our hearts have been heavy in the last few weeks as we've, as we've watched events unfold on Ukraine. And um, I was doing um, some thinking and one of my favorite thinking spots was, which is on the Pilates reformer last week, week. And I thought, what can we do? Who do I know? And I thought about um, inviting Samuel to come and um, speak with us uh, tonight. So I'm, I'm really um, excited that he said yes. And um, I know Samuel because he actually lived with my parents last year when he first moved here from Slovakia, and so he became an honorary member of our family, he and his wife, Natalia, and we've been on vacation together, and we've played lots of games together, and we share um, a heart for that part of the world, because I actually lived in Hungary for a few years, so um, it's just been really wonderful to get to know him this year, but I, um, but he is also a really accomplished um, professor and thinker and um, and is working on a master's in public affairs at Berkeley, just about done. Um, so we are going to um, get to hear more from you and Samuel, feel free to just drop, um, you know, drop your names and the things that you've done as you go through. So we'll, um, we wanna know where you come from and all the things that you've experienced as well, um, not just hear your academic take on this. And um, I encourage you to listen tonight with, um, you know, a mind that's taking in uh, what you're hearing, but also a heart that's open and a soul that's um, in prayer for the Ukraine and for this region. So um, I, with that, I'm going to hand it over to you to, to share and give us some perspective. I just kind of asked him to give us an overview and kind of about 15 to 20 minutes of opening remarks, and then we'll, um, we'll open it up for questions and further discussion. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Jenny, for, for organizing things. And, and thank you all for coming. I, I, I haven't even started and, you know, my, my eyes are already full with tears because I see so many familiar faces. And yeah, I mean, so many people here, I, I, I really appreciate that you're interested in the situation in Ukraine because simply terrible that's that's it's as bad as it can be um so yeah as, as jenny said um thanks also for the introduction and maybe to add to that um my parents both my parents studied in kiev in ukraine and so my mom used to joke that i was made in kiev so that's my very connection to to ukraine and Basically, since 2013, more or less, I was traveling very frequently to Ukraine, mostly to Kiev, basically on a monthly basis. And um, in 2020, I've spent four months as a volunteer for one small NGO um, in Donetsk region, which was very, very close to the contact line, uh, where the, on the other side where was occupied territory and the other side was was free territory so under control of Kiev, and um yeah i was helping then a little bit and also i worked on on a diplomatic level with 
um, Slovak and Italian governments who were in charge of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe chairmanship. And that organization is basically in charge of conflict management in Ukraine, or better said, was. So I have kind of like, I had this experience from diplomatic level, then I got frustrated. So that's why I went to the field and yeah. And there I, I decided just to apply for, for public policy school. And here I am. Um, so maybe I should, I should start with, and of course, please if, feel free to stop me anytime. You know, I mean, if, if you have any questions, just, yeah, don't, don't even raise your hand, just ask it, no, don't worry. And so why this, why we have this war? So um, a lot of people say that it's because of US or it's because of NATO or it's because of EU. No, um, the main reason is that Russia does not consider Ukraine as an independent and sovereign social, economic, political, and cultural entity different than Russia, capable of doing own decisions that are not in line with the vision of Kremlin. This is the main reason. Simply, they, they do not understand Ukraine as a state and Ukrainians as, as a sovereign nation. Um, maybe another question arises, but why? <laughs> um, why Putin is saying that we are one nation um, and Ukrainians are Russian brothers and, 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 and sisters? It goes a little bit back. I do not want to like lose a lot of time on history, but this might be pretty interesting. So currently, the Russian regime thinks about Russia and territories neighboring Russia in three thirds. There is this huge Russia, there is small Russia, and there is wide Russia. Big Russia, huge Russia is Russia. Small Russia, um, it's called Malorossiya, um, that's Ukraine. And wide Russia, it's Belarus, which is literal translation is wide Russia. They understand it just as part of one big entity, Russia. <laughs> but Ukraine was always divided to be like, to put it very simply. And the Dniester, the Dnieper River, sorry, the Dnieper River was kind of like dividing line. Uh, I'll show you then the map so you can understand it better when I come to, um, to current um, fiercest fights. And so eastwards of Dnieper River, it was most, they had closer connection to Russia. West side of the Dnieper River, it was more connected to Poland, Austro-Hungary, to these empires. Why is it important to say? Because in Western part, Ukrainian identity in the history was much stronger than in the Eastern part. That was even more kind of like emphasized or even more like multiplied this, this divide uh, during the first of all Holodomor, which is so called Great Famine, when Ukrainian peasants 
were basically starved to death by Stalin. So that was a huge loss of population. Second World War. And the, the third reason um, was then, um, yeah, Stalinist kind of like, um, they were taking Ukrainian population and resettling them in other um, parts of Russia or Soviet Union at that time. So all of this led to the fact that Ukrainian, like native Ukrainian population was decreased drastically. But how come these Russian speakers um, appeared to be there? First of all, you know, that region, they were there always, you know, it's like, but nobody cared. The only thing that changed afterwards was, um, especially in the region of Donetsk and Luhansk, which is called Donbass. So basically during Soviet times, Donbass was like Silicon Valley of, of Soviet Union, really. It was the most advanced technology, the most advanced research, everything that was connected to military and economy was based in that region, Donbass. Even three chairmen of, uh, uh, of, of Soviet Union Communist Party were from that region, which says a lot. So why that region was so rich? It was because of natural resources that were found there, um, especially during 30s, 1930s and, and, and later on. And actually all that mining business was started by Irish business people. But yeah, uh, this is what was not being told during Soviet Union, right? So basically, Holodomor, World War II, um, Stalin cleansings, and then discover of natural resources led to the fact that many Russian-speaking population from all other parts of Soviet Union were coming to that region. They were not just Russians. It was just Russian-speaking people. So there were people coming from Caucasus, from Siberia, from, from all over. And the only thing they had in common was this lingua franca, which was Russian. So that why, that's why we have this, this or we had the situations that um, the majority of people in, in Donbass were Russian speaking. The same actually applies to, um, or very similar applies to Crimea. It's just, the difference is that fact that in Crimea, there are no natural resources, but beautiful beaches. So people, I mean, you know, all those people who used to work in Soviet Union bureaucracy, they loved to retire in, in, uh, in Crimea. So cities of Yalta, Sevastopol, those were really beautiful, really nice um, tourist destinations. So this is kind of like the divide, but this divide was overcome in 2014. Why? In 2013, year before that, former President Yanukovych promised his own people that he will sign association agreement with European Union. The evening before that, however, Mr. Vladimir Putin called him and said, no, you will not sign that association agreement. In two days, he returned to Kyiv and said, I didn't sign anything. That 
that was the moment when especially young Ukrainian people went out to the streets and started what we call revolution of dignity. Why was that? At that moment, Ukrainian people declined, refused the Russian model of development or Russian model, Russian style of living. And they, at that moment, they decided they want European one. So they wanted, what does it mean? So they wanted transparency, justice, freedom. Because the then regime under Yanukovych was absolutely, ab totally, totally corrupted. His, his sons, he had two sons, they were raiding um, small, and small and medium companies all over Ukraine, um, basically asking for money. Otherwise, they get closed or, you know, directly taking control over those companies and enterprises. It was, it was simply horrible. So that's why Ukrainian people were like, enough. We do not want this. However, not all of them, okay. Um, Yanukovych, again, was from Donetsk. <laughs> Yanukovych himself was from Donetsk, was from that eastern part of, of Ukraine. And so... We start, that is the moment when Maidan started. This is the revolution of dignity, but also anti-Maidan. Anti so those were the people who wanted, who were happy living in that system. And so Russia annexed Crimea. Again, not because of Russian speaking population, not at all. In Sevastopol, there is the biggest fleet in Black Sea. And that is the only reason they've taken Crimea, because they didn't want, you know, to lose it or to leave it up to free Kiev. No, no, we'll take it. There is this geopolitical saying like, who controls Sevastopol controls Crimea. Who controls Crimea controls Black Sea. And in a Black Sea, you have all those countries like Georgia, Turkey, Romania, Bulgaria. So it is extremely, extremely important. And yeah, they are, they're using Crimea also right now in the worst way. So we're in 2014. We started the revolution of dignity. Um, Crimea is annexed. And what happens next is that those people from federal service, federal security service, which is kind of like CIA in Russia, are moving from Crimea, where they already orchestrated this annexation, and they're moving and organizing people in uh, Donetsk and Luhansk Oblast. And now the war starts there. On Ukrainian side, they had no commander-in-chief because Yanukovych fled the country with his family, with his wealth that he gathered through corruption, he fled to Russia. So the army had army was dysfunctional, armed forces were totally paralyzed. So what happened is that volunteers started to go and flow to the east of Ukraine to fight against, huh. some people say separatists, um, saying that basically this was a civil war between two camps of Ukrainians. No, it was already at 2014, this was war between Russia and Ukraine. 
So you had their ir irregular armed forces of, of Russia. The trick they did, they, they it just they took off their insignia. That's it. That's it. And so since then they are saying, like, no, we were not involved. But of course you were. There were like tons, tons of videos, you know, in Russian you have different dialects. So even in my broken Russian, I could hear they have different dialect than those people from Donbas or people from Crimea. So volunteers started to fight for the freedom of, of Ukraine against occupation of Russia and Russia-supported forces. And this is an interesting moment. This is like super crucial. Can you imagine like really volunteers, people like you and me, you know, they, they were doing, they had totally different lives. Just at one moment, they got together and to fight against um, the aggressor. And uh, this is something extremely Ukrainian. Ukrainians are amazing when it comes to local organizing. They are amazing when it comes to defending their own freedom. You know, once the freedom is protected, they can argue, no problem, about all the other things. But when it comes to their freedom, they, they are ready to fight till the end. And this is extremely different. This, in this, Ukrainians are very, very unique. And this is what we are seeing also now that their spirit against like much bigger army, but they are still holding on. And so going back 2014, so basically these volunteer battalions got extremely quickly trained. They did a great job and they were even pushing uh, back uh, Russian army and Russian and, and Russia supported separatists. But then um, one awful, awful, awful event happened, which is called uh, the massacre of Ivovysk, when basically, and I was, <laughs> I was on the Russian border and we were meeting these um, ladies. They were retired already. They were singing. They called themselves like Ukrainian Cossacks, but they were speaking, of course, Russian to each other. And they told me how Russian um, army, armed forces stopped on the river, which is basically a, a, a border, and started to shell Ukrainian positions. So from the territory of Russia already in 2014, this is what happened. And so this massacre of Ilovaisk, however, led to Minsk agreements, which on diplomatic level, they, they froze the conflict. And since then, um, there was a ceasefire, which was always violated from both sides. So, so yeah, this is, this is how, how it all started. If, if you want to know why Putin started the war now, I have no idea. I have PhD in international relations. I speak Russian. My Ukrainian is broken. I, 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 I even know personally the person who was advising Putin in 2014. His name is Vladislav Surkov. And so just to tell you that I, I have experience in, in I dealt with, with the conflict and I have no idea why he started now. I don't know. 
And this is what makes me to question everything because in 2014, the expert community was like, no, he, he won't take Crimea, he won't take Donbass, he did. Now we were at maximum, he will do something in Donbass. Now he's bombing the whole country. And so I made two crucial mistakes. So if you're asking maybe like, can it escalate somewhere beyond this? I, I, I can't exclude it anymore. So I'm, I'm not going to make third mistake now. So basically this is like the evolution very, very quickly, the evolution of the whole conflict. 